Thanks for listening to The Vine's podcast. The Vine is a church in Austin, Texas, with the simple goal of following Jesus together. And we hope this message helps you in doing just that. Uh, my name is Ted Thulin, for those of you who don't know me. And uh, I'm the family pastor here at The Vine. And so I get a joy to work with all ages, but especially focus on, on kids and their families and uh, I love doing it. I have three kids of my own, so one's in high school and two are in college. And actually, Peyton is here, so I'm so glad that Sweet Pea's here from, uh, for spring break. But uh, uh, again, just love to be able to do that, and I'm so thankful for so many people in our church that uh, give so much of their time and are committed to making the, our kids' ministry just the best that it can be. And so we have just some wonderful folks back there, but, uh, and it's a joy to be in here too, so... Good to be with y'all. Uh, today we're going to continue our Lenten sermon series. And uh, for Lent, if that's a, a new term for you, uh, it's a 40-day period. It begins on Ash Wednesday, and it's the 40 days that lead up to Easter, uh, not including Sundays. But it's a time of, whether it's that devotional or other things, where we get to reflect into our own lives and um, where God is just at work in a special way during this time of year. And through this time leading up to Easter, we're doing a sermon series titled Practicing the Ways of Jesus. And we're looking each week at just a practical spiritual habit um, of Jesus. Last week, we looked at the the habit of Sabbath. And today, we're going to consider a habit, a spiritual habit that I believe we kind of tend to keep at arm's length. And that is the spiritual habit of speaking the good news of the gospel. I don't know, maybe it's due to, to, to fear or feeling inadequate, um, not wanting to come off as weird or, or pushy, or, you know, hey, that's not just for me. I mean, Ted, you and Mark, the professionals, you guys do that part. You know, we'll just, I just want to sit back. But I hope today that you will see that when Jesus calls you to follow him, It's not just to to follow and that your life might be better, but it's to follow and to do something in the lives of others that someone has done in your life and is part of the reason that you're sitting here right now as a follower of Jesus Christ. So if you have your Bibles with me or your phone or it's also going to be on the screen, we're going to be in the Gospel of Mark this morning. And Mark tells us the story of Jesus, and he includes in the beginning of his book the calling of the first four disciples. And as we read this, I want you to notice that right away Jesus gives them his agenda. So, Mark chapter 1, verses 14 through 20. After John, and that's John the Baptist. Uh, who prepared the way, who pointed others to Jesus. And as a little side note, the kids are learning about this morning um, and as how he was bold in speaking the good news. So after John was put in prison, Jesus went into Galilee proclaiming the good news of God. The time has come, he said. The kingdom of God is near. Repent and believe the good news. As Jesus walked beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon who would later be named Peter. He saw Simon and his brother Andrew casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. Come, follow me, Jesus said, and I will make you fishers of people. When he had gone a little farther, 
he saw James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John in a boat preparing their nets. Without delay, he called them, and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired men, and they followed him. So to give us a little bit broader context of this, in the Gospel of Luke, uh, this calling of the first disciples actually happened um, after they had been out fishing all night, and they hadn't caught anything. And so they come in, it's early in the morning, and probably just dejected for not catching anything. And, and there's Jesus on the shore, and he comes in and says, hey, let's go back, go back out now. Go back out and fish. And they're thinking, well, now it's going to be in the daytime, it's not the best time to fish. But they do go back out and fish. And they catch the biggest catch ever. I mean, it is just a miracle, the amount of fish that they catch. And it's soon after that, that's when Jesus says, don't be afraid. From now on, you are going to be fishers of people. And so they're going to begin their journey of following Jesus by, by leaving their nets and their boats behind. And what else are they leaving behind? They're leaving the biggest catch they've ever had. They're just leaving that all to follow Jesus. And Jesus calls each one of us, too, to, to leave everything behind and to follow him. And now that doesn't necessarily mean that everybody's being called into full-time ministry. But whether you're an artist, a teacher, a homemaker, a lawyer, a business owner, a student... Whatever, however you spend your day, God calls us in whatever we do to put him first. And the heartbeat of this passage is that we give everything we have and we give everything that we are unto the lordship of Jesus Christ. And I often wonder, and I'm guessing that you guys too, of what was going on in the hearts and minds of Peter, James, and John, and Andrew, as they made this decision to follow Jesus. You know, what, what conversations did they have with one another? How hard was it for them to just turn and to leave their family business when it is booming right now? Did their families go with them as they went to follow Jesus? You know, Mark doesn't share that sort of human drama or those kind of questions that we sometimes would like to have answered and at times we would put at the center of the story rather mark is careful to tell the story uh, in a little different way because this story is not so much a story about the followers as it is a story about jesus about his plan his purpose his authority and his power all of which we see on display in this short account. And Mark, again, is willing to leave these questions unanswered. He doesn't want us to get anything distracted from Jesus because at the heart of discipleship is not the disciple. The heart of discipleship is the one that the disciple follows. And also notice what is not said. Jesus doesn't say, follow me, and I'm going to heal all your hurts. He doesn't say, follow me, and you're just going to be wealthy. No cares in the world. Follow me, you're just going to be on top of the world. He doesn't say that. Rather, he says, follow me. Come be part of my mission. 
And there's not an opportunity for them to say, what's in it for me? And I love how Dave Henderson, he's a Presbyterian pastor in Indiana. He says this, he says, this is not a vending machine deity. Put in your prayer quarters and press the button for your desire. This is the Lord. And Jesus calling his first disciples, it signals a significant transition where he is now going to entrust his mission to people. And this is amazing if you really think about it. And, you know, we know some of the things about these guys. And if you were the Messiah, you're thinking, would these be the four that you might want to choose to, to start with? I mean, think of Peter down the road, right? Peter comes to a point where he denies even knowing Jesus. James and John, they get to a point where they're arguing about who's going to be the greatest in the kingdom of heaven rather than focusing on the kingdom work that God has before them. It just gets messy if you think about it. And that's, in a sense, the story of Scripture. If you go character by character through the Bible, it's not a story of noble people who make all the right choices. Rather, the Bible is a story of broken people who are rescued by grace and who are made usable by grace. And we can think of King David, who from our last sermon series, right, we learned that his story was really messy, and yet God still works through him in powerful ways. I love how Dr. Paul Tripp says it. Now this is remarkable, that God calls people in need of grace to be tools of transforming grace. That's the wonder of the mission, that God calls broken people to be instruments of healing. God calls people still in need of redemption to be tools of redemption. The wonder of grace is not just what grace is able to do, but the part of the wonder of grace is whom grace employs to do its work. Oh, that gives me hope. But the minute you say, yes, I'm going to follow you, Jesus, I'm going to be part of your mission, the next thing that comes over you a lot of times is, oh, I feel totally inadequate. How's God ever going to use me, right? And if I'm honest, it seems like every time I preach or a lot of times I do things that I'm called to do as a pastor, I always need to be reminded. It's a verse in 2 Corinthians chapter 4 where we read that God put this, his treasure in jars of clay to show that the all-surpassing power is from him and not from us. And if you have your handouts with you, if you're always wondering when that first fill-in-the-blank going to come, it's right here. What qualifies you is it's not your worthiness. What qualifies you is your willingness. Another way I've heard it said is God doesn't need our ability. He needs our availability. Again, I don't believe that Jesus scanned the whole region and said, hey, these are four of the best of the best that I could find. No, again, we know differently. But in their following, the world changed. And how beautiful is that? That's what Jesus says to you and me today. He says, come and follow me in your brokenness. Come and follow me in your confusion. Come and follow me even in times of your doubt. 
Come and follow me in just the beautiful mess that you are. Follow me and give yourself to my mission. You go and I will catch people through you. Amen? That's the mission. And again, the wonder of grace is not just what grace is able to do, but again, who grace chooses to work through. And that is each and every one of us. Now, how many of you all are into fishing? Raise your hands real quick. A few out there? You're probably looking at my extensive fishing supplies, thinking, Ted's a fisherman. Uh, but you know I'm not, right? Uh, I took the kids a few times, and uh, I don't think that even went well, because I didn't, if they did catch a fish, I didn't want to take it off the hook, you know? Like spikes and slimy, and I'm like, what do we do now? Just cut the line? And then I got to figure out how to do that all over again. So there's that, or if you're with little kids and you're fishing and you have minnows, they're like, well, don't kill the minnow. So then you're like, well, you come home with the minnows, right? So I'm not a really great fisherman. But I do want to tell you a time that I will never, ever forget because it was the best catch that I had ever made, ever. So uh, Tara and I were out on a pontoon boat at Old Hickory Lake. Isn't that a great name for a lake? It's right outside of Nashville, Tennessee, if you're wondering where it is. So we're out there on this boat. We're going to go fishing. And... Uh, had a picnic, had the picnic, then we're ready to fish, and so I, I was like, Tara, would you get out of the tackle box, would you get the lure, I think I got the perfect lure for today, the perfect one, and so as she's opening the box, I get down on one knee, and she turns back, and I say, Tara, will you marry me? She said yes, <laughs> just in case you're wondering, I think she did, yeah. Um, and uh, it was awesome, the best catch ever, 23 years going on 24 uh, in my life, and it's a, it's a story that I just love to tell, and it's like, it is like fishing stories in a sense that fish, people love telling their fishing stories, right? Like, how big was the fish? It was this big, and then you see a picture, and it's like this big, right? You're like, no, it's not even close, or they come back, and they want to tell you the story of, you should have seen how big the fish was that got right near the dock or right near the boat. Where is it? Oh, it got away. Oh, yeah. Sorry about that. Um, but we love to tell those kind of stories, don't we? We love telling all kinds of stories. But why is it that when it comes to our faith, the single most important thing in our life that we just clam up? Why can't we talk about what God has done in our lives as freely as we tell fish stories, or other stories from our lives. Notice that Jesus didn't say to the disciples, hey, good luck fishing for people. He said, follow me. And in following me, I'm going to show you, and I'm going to make you fishers of people. And throughout his ministry, Jesus demonstrated what that meant. What does it mean to fish for people? They saw the woman at the well who came and he knew all about her past. And he cared for her and he accepted her to the point of that she turns around and runs into town and wants to tell everybody, you got to come see Jesus. What about when Zacchaeus, a, a disliked tax collector, Jesus sees him and 
doesn't point out everything, Zacchaeus, that you've done wrong or how you know, people are justified this or that. He says, Zacchaeus, come down. I want to go to your house. I want to have a meal with you. I want to have a relationship with you. You see, when, talk, when Jesus is talking about fish and fishing for people, it's not about a method or learning a certain script or maybe a strategy. Rather, I believe he's talking about a process. And when within that process, we, are, we always need to remember that God is already at work. And every person has a God-shaped void that only God can fill. And here is what is really, really cool. That part of God's plan is that he has positioned each of you perfectly in your neighborhood, in your place of work, in your school, in whatever your sphere of influence is, he has placed you there perfectly to fish. That is to take the life-changing message and to share it with those that he has uniquely brought into your life. Because there is somebody in your life that will listen to you that won't listen to me. There is somebody that you can impact that the person to your left and the person to your right cannot. Again, you might be thinking, sitting there thinking, uh, Ted, I, I really don't want to fish. I'm just going to pass on this whole thing. Uh, I don't want to get someone hooked and, and pull, pull them somewhere they don't want to go. I understand that. But the kind of fishing that Jesus is talking about is fishing that brings life. It brings eternal life. And it isn't something we can just opt out of. I like how Andy Stanley says it, short and sweet. To follow is to fish. Can you all say that once with me? To follow is to fish. Good job. And looking at Jesus, the master of fishing for people, I believe we can learn some practical tools, and I want to share those with you now, um, that we can put in our tackle box. Tools that we see that he demonstrated for us, and they'll be up here. And the first one is that, is to become aware. And I believe there are two areas of awareness. The first area is that we need to be aware that to follow is to fish. The second is that we need to, to cultivate an awareness in our lives for the people that God has brought into your life. Who in your life right now, as you think about it, does not know Jesus yet? Who might that be? And once you've identified them, could you follow up the question and say, what may be my part in this person's journey to Christ? You know, maybe your role is simply giving them a positive interaction with a Christ follower. I love how Paul says this in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 6. He says, my work, <clears throat> my work with you was to plant the seed in your hearts, and Apollos' work was to water it. But it was God, not us, who made the garden grow in your hearts. You see, the Apostle Paul, he realized and recognized that he had a part to play in people's lives. But then there were other people that had a different part to play. And that ultimately, it is God who causes the fruit to grow. It is God and only God who can change someone's heart. 
And all of us might have stories of how that happened in our lives. Um, Again, we just got to recognize and be aware of who God has brought into your life. So the second tool in our our tackle box is going to be to be in prayer. That's when, again, we remind ourselves of that scripture that we just read that, yes, we are part of the process, but God's part is a whole lot bigger. And I want to give you just a few quick tips on prayer of maybe how can I pray for someone? And the first one is pray that the Father would draw them to Jesus. And when you're praying that, you're praying that, in a sense, for a a spiritual openness would happen in the person's life. Pray for yourself. Pray that God would equip you with discernment, with the ability to listen, the, the ability to be intentional, to be bold. Pray for the Holy Spirit to give you the words to say, and at times, not words not to say anything, right? But to listen. And then the next tip is this, is pray that other believers will cross their paths and that they will enter into a positive relationship with them. That life-giving people would come around them so they would have an experience for other believers of, that will show them love, that will show them compassion, that will take interest in their life. I know for Tara and I, that is something that we pray for our three kids every day. We pray for those who aren't in their lives yet that God will bring in, and we are so grateful for the people that are in their lives that are showing them what it not only means to follow Christ, but are loving each one of them right where they're at. And then the last little tip of prayer is pray for that aha moment. That's when just that moment when the gospel becomes clear. When, when we become aware that our Heavenly Father loves us, and they love, loves them relationally. And, and you know, for some people, that aha moment really is that. They can tell you on June 3rd, I was up in the mountains and, um, you know, I gave my life to Christ. And I can tell you exactly how my life was transformed. And for many of us, it's a process. We might not be able to say that exact date, but it's a process over. As we look back on our life, we can see the different aha moments of where God was at work. So again, our first tool is that I'm going to become aware of the people in my life. Secondly, I'm going to be praying for those people. And the third tool in our tackle box is we're going to show them that you care. You know, that when you think about this whole idea about fishing for people, um, it's, uh, the churchy word for that is evangelism. And in all, all culture, it seems like that word can take, a lot, uh, go take you a lot of different ways. Um, but let me ask the question in a different way. It's up here on the the screen. What comes to mind when you think about the person who is most responsible for you to coming to know Jesus? Does anybody come to mind? For me, it was Scott Thompson. Uh, When when Scott came into my life when I was 17 years old, he had just graduated from Ohio State University, moved to Boulder, Colorado, and uh, he, I just saw him one day because he was there, was one of our coaches. And got to know him. I, and it took me a little while to realize that he was part of a youth ministry, an outreach ministry. But he was there, his coaching him, and just getting to know him. And just so quickly, just someone that I, I looked up to. And I looked at it, I loved how Scott took interest in my life. And he showed up not only to the games, obviously, that he was a part of coaching of, 
but he showed up to other games. He showed up to other things that I was involved in. He was consistent. He encouraged me. And through all of that, using the young life term, for those of you who are familiar with young life, he earned the right to be heard, to speak into my life. And while my mom introduced me to Christ, Scott took it to a level of someone like, that is, that's how you live out your faith. And he made that impression of what it meant to follow Jesus. So again, it comes with, we're, praying, we're, we're becoming aware of people, we're praying for them, we're showing them that we care. Again, that's what Jesus did throughout all of his ministry, demonstrating to people how much he loved them. And so I want you to think, what are some practical things you can do to show people that you care? And one of the things that I love about our church, is it's a wonderful ministry. Maybe some of you aren't even aware of it. We have a ministry called Vine Care. And it's, it's a great ministry. And if you want to be involved within it, uh, please talk to me afterwards. Or Luann, who is up here, let us in the prayer of confession. You can talk to her as well and, and others. But it, it's a ministry that when someone goes through a time of loss or maybe having a baby, and we're having a ton of babies lately and some more are coming, um, where they, the church can provide meals for them, or we come around them and just show that we care. Uh, Shannon Liven, good back here, she is incredible at writing cards. She has a whole card ministry of things of celebration, times of, we're praying for you. Again, what practical ways can we show people uh, that we care? So again, hopefully this is sinking in. I'm becoming aware of people in our lives, praying for them, showing that I care. And if you do these three things, I guarantee you can do the fourth one. And that is being willing to share. If you've done the first three things, there's going to come a time where there's going to, God's going to open a door and you're going to have a chance to where you can share. And maybe that person's going to say, I, I want to know what makes you tick. There's something different about your life and the way you treat me. And it's drawing me in. 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 15 says it this way. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the, re the, the reason for the hope that you have, but do it with gentleness and respect. There's a lot of love there. I love that it says do it with gentleness and respect. We really need to do that. I, I love it because it doesn't say you have to have all the right answers and then you can go share your faith you get, if, once you memorize the Bible and know everything. Because if we're honest, when it comes for most of us, we, we just feel unqualified to share our faith. It's hard to do. But notice it says, be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks for the reason the, for the hope that you have. It's a personal thing. Share with them what God has done in your life. And it says, be ready to share that. Be ready to give a reason for the hope that you have. And not everybody's going to feel comfortable uh, sitting down with someone and, and leading them and how they can have a relationship with Christ. But I think there are things we all can do. We can invite someone to come to church. We can invite someone to be part of our small group. Um, and then it's the whole thing again. Remember, the vision of our church is to follow Jesus together. Well, think about this when we're fishing, right? He says, be fishers of people. We do it together. You invite someone to be part of your small group, then it's your small group is sharing and caring for these people and loving 
and, 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 and speaking uh, the word to them. And there's been a lot of research that has been, been done on all this. Uh, there's a stat that says 85% of people who say they are a follower of Jesus would say the reason they are is because somebody in their life um, helped them get there. Someone reached out to them and did invite them to come to church or invited them uh, to come to Young Life or invited them to or just had a conversation with them or just showed that they cared. And there's another stat. Uh, it says three out of ten, and I don't know if that's too high or not, but it says the three out of ten Christians only will invite a person to church. I hope we're not that church. Let's be a church that invites people. Let's be a church that shares our story. Again, it's pretty obvious I don't know a lot about fishing. Um, but uh, here's what I do know about this casting net. That as long as it's dry and it's not even near water, there's absolutely no chance that it's going to catch any fish. It's only until right, until you take it to water, that you have an opportunity. So I, I'm, my hope is that we will be the kind of people that will throw our nets into the water. Again, that we're becoming aware of the people around us, uh, that we're praying for them, that we're showing that we care, and we're sharing our stories. You know, Easter is just around the corner, April 21st. And I love Easter. It's the day that we get to celebrate the greatest news, the greatest story that has ever been told. It seems too good to be true that yet while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. May we not be ashamed to claim him as our Lord and Savior before others. And God commands us to bring and we are blessed when we bring the good news. In fact, the best news of all to people. And we don't need to feel any inappropriate pressure or guilt. Just be ourselves, imperfect for sure, but lovers of Jesus Christ. I invite you to pray with me.